How about all these kids up here? Those are just the ones that are in transition years. You can't tell me that God is not blessing this church family. And Tucker, God bless that middle school leaders. Wow, what an influx of wonderful, active, happy young people is, are going into middle school. And that's just the new sixth graders. That is amazing. God continues to bless us over and over again. He blessed us with this wonderful Praise and Harmony Song Fest weekend last week. And I know you were uplifted by that. We had 374 in our worship assembly Sunday morning and a great number that were there, over 200 Saturday as well. It was a great, great blessing. And our church is going to feel the reverberations from that in a positive way, I know, for months uh, to come. We are looking in the book of Philippians, and the overall theme is living a joyful life. And so last weekend came at just the perfect time in the midst of all of this. And so as Tucker shared earlier and Kelly did as well today, we're asking, how do we keep that going? How do we keep that joyful spirit going? How do we keep that worship that is resounding with love and grace and encouragement and joy in the Lord continuing on? And that's our, that's our task in the weeks ahead. And I know the Lord will help us to be able to do that. You know, we are not different at all from the church at Philippi. The Philippians were people who lived in modern-day Greece. They were in that northern district of Macedonia. And so Paul and his group that were on their mission trip, uh, Paul's second trip, went into modern-day Greece, went into the northern region of Macedonia after they received the Macedonian call. And they were told, I want you to go over there by the Holy Spirit through a vision. And so they answered that call. And the first stop was the church at Philippi. And in Philippi, Paul and Silas end up in jail. They convert Lydia and her family. They convert the jailer and his family. And the church is off and running on the continent of Europe. We're not that different from the church at Philippi. They were told that there is joy in serving. And we get that same reminder today. The example of Jesus in Philippians 2 is followed by the call to serve. Last week we looked at that incredible passage in Philippians 2, the first 11 verses. Part of which many believe is an old first century hymn. One of the very first songs that Christians wrote to glorify and honor Jesus, and what they glorify about him is his service. Kelly was right on point as we gathered around the table and remembered the one who died for us. And I love the way you put it, Kelly, that the one who is called master is also called servant. Isn't that amazing? There's no one like that in our culture today. In fact, if you go back to Matthew chapter 20, you hear Jesus saying what's true in our culture today, which is, just as the pagans did in Jesus' day, if you're great, then you have servants. The one who is great is the one who is served, not the one who serves. That's how our culture sees it. That's how the first century culture sees it. That's not how Jesus sees it. Jesus says, but I say to you, Sounding like the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, the greatest among you will be the least. 
And the one who serves is the one who is truly, truly master and great. Because Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many, just as that great passage in Philippians 2 had said. As Kelly quotes from John chapter 13, we remember that what led up to that was Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Those 12 apostles, and yes, Judas was still there. Those smelly, dirty, dusty feet Jesus washed because they needed washing. That's what servants do. They see something that needs to be done and they do it. None of the other apostles were going to do it. Jesus himself, the Son of God, did it. You call me Lord and Master, as Kelly read. And that's right, because that's what I am. And now that I, your Lord and Master, have served you, you need to find the joy in serving one another. Now that I've washed your feet, you need to wash, not my feet, Jesus says, each other's feet. The joy of serving. I want to be a what? Worker for the Lord. Is that just some cute old hymn that we sang? To kind of mark a few minutes before Bill gets up to preach? Or is that what we really truly want? I want to be a worker. It's not a burden. It's something I want to do. The joy of serving. So we look at this great passage in Philippians 2 that continues that thought and and applies it. We go from Jesus, the wonderful servant who is worthy of our praise, to The call to serve joyfully ourselves today. And that gets us started in Philippians 2 verse 12 with working out your salvation. Working out your salvation. And I can tell you, this passage makes a few people nervous because they say, Well, wait a minute, Bill. I thought we're saved by grace. I didn't know that you could work to earn your salvation. Well, if you can find that we work to earn our salvation in these words, good luck. Because they're not there. They are not there. But neither is the message that says because we're saved by grace through faith, that's it. We're off scot-free the rest of our lives. We can live any way we want, do anything we want, live our lives selfishly. Whatever desires we have, we can fulfill because Jesus paid it all, right? We sing that song too. Well, that's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, as we've already seen, there is this call to serve. Working out your salvation. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, okay, you know how to do that, right? Whenever you read therefore, you ask what? What is it therefore? (laughs) Okay. And so therefore, go back and read those first 11 verses again. Where Paul calls the church at Philippi to serve one another and to consider each other's interests above their own and to act unselfishly towards each other and to make sure the other person's preferences are done ahead of mine. And then he gives the greatest illustration ever and he says, well, let me tell you what that looks like. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though being in very nature God, Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to hold on to, but emptied himself. And became not just a human, but a servant. And took it all the way to death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. Therefore, verse 12, 
My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. This is what Paul is telling us to do. He's telling us to do the same thing that Jesus told us to do. And that's to work out your salvation. Bring it to completion. Live every day for Jesus Christ. And that's, as the kids say, 24-7-365. You've heard me say before, you know, you don't have to follow God and serve Jesus every day. Only the days that end in Y. That's it. All the rest you can live for yourself. That's what it means to be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not that we're scared to death all the time. It's that we have a healthy fear of God, of course. But it's more of a term that looks to respect and reverence. And it's a reverence that is seen in how we live our lives. It's one thing to say I love Jesus. It's one thing to say I want to be a worker for the Lord. But it's quite another thing to put your name on one of those lists. To give Donnie a cook a call and tell her, hey, I saw your little note in the bulletin today. Sounds like you need some help. What can I do? That's working out your salvation. With fear and trembling, with action and not just words. As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Remember, Paul had been there. As best we can tell, he started the church there. And they saw him there, and he saw them there. And they saw him go through a lot of persecution, being in jail overnight, being flogged, even though he was a Roman citizen and shouldn't have been. And now the church there had experienced some of those same things. So Paul says... In my presence or in my absence, continue to do that. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oswald Chambers in his wonderful devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, says this. The most difficult person to deal with is the one who has the prideful self-satisfaction of a past experience, but is not working that experience out in their everyday life. If you say you are a follower of Christ, show it. The experience must be so genuine that it shows in your life. Beware of any belief that makes you self-indulgent or self-gratifying. That belief came from the pit of hell itself, and I agree. Regardless of how beautiful it may sound, your theology must work itself out, exhibiting itself in your most common everyday relationships. You may know all about the doctrine of sanctification, but are you working it out in the everyday issues of your life? You understand what it means to be saved by a grace through faith. You understand that we're set apart and holy for the work of God, but are you doing it? Is it something that's being worked out in your actual life? If I ask you today, if the conversation around the dinner table at lunch today is, well, what are you doing for the Lord right now? How are you serving at West Irwin right now? Which of those ministries are you involved in? What would you say? Would you answer with, well, I love Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad. Hooray. How is that being worked out in your life? 
working out your salvation. We'll come back to verse 13 in a moment. Secondly, today, shining like stars. I love that image. I love that image, and I love the way Paul puts it here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Should we just kind of stop there and sing the invitation song, Kelly, and ask everyone that grumbles or complains to come forward? We continue on in Philippians 2, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Do we live in, do we live in a warped and crooked generation today? Well, yeah, yeah. So is every generation that has ever lived. Why? Because the world has always been the world and it's always going to be the world. Sometimes the world acts more like the world than at other times. And it was certainly very warped and very crooked in the generation of the people that Paul was writing this letter to. They were trying to kill them at every turn. Make sport of them. And it was not going to get better. For about 250 or so more years. And so Paul writes this letter. And as he's writing it. He himself is in jail. He is under house arrest in Rome more than likely. And he's already said in chapter 1. Hey I'm okay with that. Because for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So if it's guilty to die is gain. I get to be with the Lord. If, If it's not guilty you're free. Then it means Christ lives in me. That was his attitude, and so he tells us, that should be your attitude too. Whatever you're doing, do everything without grumbling and complaining. And that's when we shine like stars, he says. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So let's figure this out now. Grumbling and arguing, good or bad? Bad. Grumbling and arguing, bad. Sacrifice and service, good or bad? Good. Paul says, he points at his own example and he says, hey, you saw. You saw how I sacrificed. You saw how I served you. You saw how it cost me dearly, physically and emotionally. You see how it's costing me now. And yet he says, I'm doing that with great joy. How is it that we stand out? How is it that we shine like stars in the midst of a dark, crooked, warped generation when we do that? When we serve with joy. And when we do it without grumbling and complaining. (laughs) I realize that there are some of you guys out there. You used to try to hide from me. But now that Steve Denman is pulling in volunteers at the last minute to serve at the Lord's table. You're not hiding from me. You're hiding from Steve. (laughs) I know Steve feels the same way I do. I love people who say yes. 
I realize sometimes you can, and I get that. And by all means, it's okay to say no sometimes. But if you look over your life and you're saying no all the time, I've got to ask you, are you really working out your salvation? Are you really doing everything without grumbling and complaining? Or have you found yourself right in the pattern of the world? And you're no longer shining like a star in the midst of that. You're fitting in really nicely in the darkness. Paul says, don't do that. Don't take away the one thing that makes you different from everyone else. Everyone else gripes and whines and complains when they have to do something. They make sure everybody knows the sacrifice that they're making. And then you have this band of Christians who says, how can I help? How can I serve? What can I give? How much does Lahaina need? You let me know. If you think that $5,000 is not very much, our elders think that as well. And that's why we're going to give more. Don't wait for them. Give them a check. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be all right, right? Right? Wait, I would figure. Yeah, mark on it, Lahaina. It'll go to the church there, to disaster relief there that Christians are helping with. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. That's how we stand out. That's how we shine like stars. Our witness, the evangelistic impact of our lives, is in the difference. It's in the difference that people see in how we live and the things that we value versus how people who don't know Christ live. And if it looks the same, we have a problem. Because we've taken on the values of the world. And in chapter 3, Paul is going to say our citizenship is not in this world. Our ultimate citizenship is where? In heaven. Do we live that way? Are we working that out? In our lives, 24, 7, 365, that's how we shine like stars. In the midst of a dark and crooked and warped generation. Thirdly, we talk about serving with others. And this is this great passage in the verses that follow. That give two great examples of what he's talking about. He's already given the best example, and that's Jesus Christ himself. He's kind of given another example, and that's Paul himself. But in these verses, he lists two others. And I want you to think for just a moment about the Timothys and the Epaphroditus in your life. Who have been the models? Who have been the examples for you? But then another twist to that is this. Who would list you? The way Paul lists these two men. First of all, Timothy. In, in Philippians 2 verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. He's going to go and check on him and bring news back to Paul. I have no one else like him. What a great, great statement about his son in the faith, Timothy. I have no one else like him. Who will, show, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Verse 21, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, whether I live or die. 
And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Timothy saw firsthand what went on with Paul there in Philippi. He was a part of it. And they saw the way uh, Timothy served just as Paul did. They know Paul gives him as an example of someone who serves, but then he gives another one. And this man, unlike Timothy, is actually from Philippi. He's one of them. In fact, what had happened is Epaphroditus had brought financial support to Paul while in Rome in prison. And as he lived there, as he stayed there with Paul, he risked his life for the sake of the gospel, just going to the center of the Roman Empire to visit a prisoner waiting for his appeal to Caesar and helping supply his needs. I'm sure there were other things that Epaphroditus did, but if that was all there was, that was significant. Verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. I'm worried about you guys. I'm worried about how much you're worrying about Epaphroditus. So was Paul's connection to them. Verse 29, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Think for a moment about who you would describe that way. Who are people you have served with? Who are the ones you've worked with in ministry here, gone on mission trips with, worked in the youth program with, done young at heart things, been in small groups with, taught Bible classes with, worked at Caring Kitchen or the Benevolent Center with, and all the other great ministries that we do here. Who is your Timothy? Who is your Epaphroditus? And when you think of them and you have them in your mind, tell them, tell them, you are that to me. Send them an encouragement card. Send them a text message. Somehow communicate to them encouragement and appreciation. But secondly, the other side of that again, who would list you that way? Who are you working with right now? That if I were to ask them or one of the elders or other ministers were to ask them, who who is it here at West Irwin that is a a great example of, of serving with joy? They would say, you. Who comes to mind? Who are you serving with now, today? A while back, we had an insert from Pat in the bulletin that was a wonderful leadership ministry chart. Had a list of all the people that are ministry leaders, our ministers, our deacons, our elders in the various areas of ministry. If you didn't get one of those and you want a paper copy, you can call Pat here at the office and she'll get you one. You can catch it on our website, westerwin.com, and, and go to the resources tab at the top and then scroll down there and click on WE Organization and there's that chart. If you're wondering who to call, if you're wondering what can I do, how can I help, there's your answer. There's your answer. 
Find one of those deacons. Find one of those ministry leaders. Find one of our ministers and call us. Tell them. I tell you, if you, t- if you call Tucker right now, I guarantee you he could list half a dozen things right off the top of his head that you could help with before the end of this month. <laughs> and this month is almost over. <laughs> Donnie Cook has already said, I need help. I need help. Will you answer? Will you answer? Davy? I know, can use all kinds of help at the Benevolent Center. All of those other deacons and ministry leaders. I know Eric is vital to all the working and ministering of this church. You can ask him, where, 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 where are the holes that I could possibly fill? The joy of serving. The joy of serving. So as we close, how do you serve with joy? Give me specifics. How do you serve with joy? How are you working out your salvation today? You say, well, I don't know, Bill. I just, I just don't feel confident doing anything. I just don't see. Well, let's read chapter 2, verse 13 once again. Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Please, my dear brother and sister, don't limit God. Don't say no to ministry because you're not good enough. Say yes to ministry because it is God who works in you to fulfill his purpose, to meet the needs of this great church, to help spread the gospel and ministry and help to others. It's not just you. It takes you, but it's not just you. It is God who is at work in you. He gives us the confidence. He gives us the assurance. He enables us to serve with joy. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would surround us, Lord. Surround us, Father, with joy. Surround us, Father, with assurance and with confidence. We need to be in your presence. Father, we need your power And we need your presence as we serve with joy. Surround us. Surround us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We can help you serve Jesus Christ with joy today. Come as we stand and sing our song together. As the mountains surround.